Good morning, everybody. My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, part of the teaching team. And um, I feel like after the morning we've had so far, we just pray and go home. This has been so encouraging just to be together and celebrate communion together. But I'm excited to open up God's word with you this morning as we look at this message, The Light of the World, continuing our, our series through this first part of John 1 called Word Made Flesh. And you all know this, that light is a huge part of our world, right? Just think physically, if the lights all went out right now, kill the lights. No, no, no. Keep, keep them on. But if the lights all went off right now, you would just go, oh my gosh, I can't see anything, I can't get anywhere. Or you think about how plants uh, grow because of light, which allows us to have food. You think about just the ability to function in life physically depends on having light. Some of you don't like to drive at, at night because there's just not very much light. And so we, we depend on that physically. We depend on light emotionally. I mean, have you ever heard of the uh, aptly, uh, I guess the, the name of it is seasonal affected disorder, which what an acronym for that, SAD, right? Where people feel sad, feel depressed, feel just increasingly kind of melancholy because of the season changing, especially as it gets dark and, and things like that. I, I read a thing that in Florida, 1% of people experience seasonal affected disorder. In Alaska, it's 9%. One out of every 10 people because it's just dark there in the winter and it's cold. And, and, and some of you, you know, this is a tough time of year for a lot of reasons. Some of it is maybe you just, there's not as much light if that's even a thing in Arizona. And, you know, you struggle with that. We think about light in how we describe history, right? You had the dark ages, which by the way, the way historians have, you know, th that season is the season when the church was kind of in charge of everything, the dark ages, followed by the enlightenment, this period where science and reasoning d displaced God. And so we break history down in that way, the dark ages, enlightenment. And, and light language comes into our language all the time, L like just the way we talk. I, I, when I was a kid, there was this kid that picked on me on my football team and in school and whatever. His name was Anthony Chinchill. And I remember <laughs> he just kept bugging me, kept bugging me, and I, and I didn't do anything. And my dad finally was like, listen, Luke, I would not normally tell you to do this, but if he picks on you one more time, knock his lights out. And I never did that. I never needed to do that. But we use that word, knock his lights out. Right? You see investigative reporting that might shed more light on this controversy or this situation that's happening. Right? You ever have a moment where maybe you're in the shower or maybe you're driving or maybe you're out for a walk or you're doing something and all of a sudden the light bulb goes on. And this thing you've been thinking about, oh, it turns on. By the way, the light bulb turns on. Right? Sometimes you hear people go, the light bulb went off. <laughs> well, that's bad, right? The light bulb going on. That's what we want is we have this, right? I have this aha moment. The light bulb goes on, right? Some of you know that this, this just gets into your language, right? That middle school dance is going to be lit, right? <laughs> and so light is just kind of part of everything. And even before the light bulb, even before the electric light, Light has always been a significant part of the human experience. And so it's not a surprise that when Jesus comes into the world, that one of his followers, John, who decided to write a book about his life so that we could believe in him, that's what the Gospel of John is, when John starts to write, it's not a surprise that he starts to describe Jesus as the light, the light of the world. That's who Jesus is, and that's what he's about. Now, what we're doing in this series, Word Made Flesh, is we're looking at the significance of why Jesus came. 
right? In Matthew and in Luke, you get the how he came, right? You get the announcement to Mary and Joseph and you get the shepherds and you get, you know, all that sort of stuff. But in John, John's explaining the significance. He's explaining what, why it matters. Why is this important? And so this whole first section, verses one through 13, is looking at how Jesus is the light. Jesus is the light. So if you have your Bible, look at chapter one, verse one, and kind of picking up where we looked at last week. This claim that Jesus is the light is a big claim. And look how big it is, verse one. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. We saw last week that means face to face with God. The pre-incarnate Christ was with God, and the word was God. Not was a God, but was God. So Jesus himself, before he took on flesh, was with God and was God. Verse two, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So to get the the gravity of this claim, this this word that is, is described in just a moment as light was with God and was God, and I love verse three, all things were made through him. And John's like, wait, wait, wait. Just in case they're not reading very carefully, here, look at what he says. And without him was not anything made that was made. You're like, yeah, you already said that. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. Here's kind of my 2017 paraphrase translation of that. Is all things were made through him, every single thing. Well, who has the power to create? God and God alone. So he is God. He's the creator. Here's where we get this light theme in verse four. In him was life. Life itself was in him. This means Jesus didn't have to go somewhere to find life. He had life in himself and the, and the life was the light of men. So in Jesus himself was life. He has always had life. He has always been alive. He has always existed as God. And as God, the life that Jesus has within him is the light for men, the light for the world. And it says in verse five, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. This is a huge claim that Jesus is the light. And this really actually ties together uh, both the the Jewish audience that would have been reading this and the Greek audience that would have been reading this. And they would have been reading it kind of with a different lens, each of them, but both of them would have gone, oh my gosh, here's why. If you were a Jew that was familiar with the Hebrew scriptures, you would have known that all throughout the Hebrew scriptures, God is associated with light, right? The first words recorded in the scripture are, let there be light, and there was light. Psalm 27 says, God is our light and our salvation. God's face shines light. God's glory shines light. In God's presence, there's light. God manifests himself to the people of Israel as they go through the exodus as a pillar of fire so that they can be a light in the midst of that darkness. Then God speaks and God describes his wisdom in the Proverbs and the law and the Torah, God's words as light. Right, the Psalm 119 says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So everything associated with God is described as light. And so when John says, in him was life and the light was the light of men, 
And in verse 9, when he says, the true light, which gave, gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. What, do you know what he's saying? A Jew would have heard this and gone, what? Whoa! This is God. He's talking about God. Now, a, a Greek would have heard it very differently because they may not have been familiar with the, the Hebrew scriptures. But they probably would have been familiar with a story that was told by Plato in 380 B.C., a lot of the different things that Plato, this Greek philosopher, talked about. One of them was this allegory of the cave. And we actually have a picture that an illustrator made to kind of describe the allegory of the cave. And the, the Greeks, well, they wouldn't have known the scriptures, but they would have probably known of this story. And, and here's how Plato saw the world. Plato essentially thought that all of us were like prisoners. Kind of see the prisoners depicted there in the kind of the bottom left. You see them leaning up against the wall. Plato described us that all of our human experiences is we're like prisoners who are chained, who are locked up, who are bound. And all we do is we stare at this blank wall. We can't leave it. We can't get out of it. We can't move our head. We can't turn around. We're just stuck staring at this blank wall. And he imagined that the way the world works is that there's this fire behind us and there's this procession that happens every day where people are holding up these various objects, like maybe it's a lamp or an animal or a wheel or a bird or whatever it is, and these objects you know, go in between this fire and the wall and project a kind of shadow on the wall. And so... We look at things and go, oh, that's a bird. Oh, that's a wheel. Oh, that's a, that's a pot. But in reality, we're just looking at the shadow, right? This is kind of like the matrix back in 380 BC. Is this reality or is this the shadow of the reality, right? That's, that's kind of what he's getting at. And so Plato said we're all stuck in this thing and we think the world we're in is the real world, but it's actually just a shadow. In reality, what we have to do is we have to escape this cave and be like the person up in the top right and get out of the cave. And when you get out of the cave, then you actually are in the light. And when you're out of the light, you actually begin to see the real objects, not just the shadows of these things, but the real things. And so he imagined that philosophy and that philosophers were the people who could help you get out of the cave. They could help you escape that and get into the real light. And so a Jew would have heard what John said and gone, oh my gosh, he's claiming that, that Jesus is God. But a Greek would have heard it and gone, oh my gosh, He's claiming that Jesus is the light. Jesus is the light that allows us to see things as they really are. And notice he says in verse 9, the true light was coming into the world. So this isn't a light. This is not that Jesus merely provides light. It is that he is the true light. And he is the light, as it says in verse 5, that shines in the darkness. Jesus shines in the darkness. Maybe you've had this experience where uh, you wake up in the night or maybe you're in a hotel room that's a little more unfamiliar and it's dark and you kind of fumble around on the nightstand until you get your phone. And you turn it on and the light shines in the darkness. What happens? You're able to see things now by that light. You see the light of the phone itself, but you're also able to see things by that light. Right, that's exactly what it means when it's saying that, that the light shines in the darkness. And so we're able to see the light of Jesus. We're also to really actually see reality as it is. And here's how C.S. Lewis describes that. He says, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it 
I see everything else. Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness. We see him and we see God himself. We see the light. We see the true light who's come into the world. But by him we see everything else as it really is. And it says, verse 5, and the darkness has not overcome it. You know, it's interesting, you flip that phone on, right, and, you, and the light shines in the darkness, right? You can turn more light on, but you can't turn more darkness on. You can't go, well, I'll just turn the darkness up, and that'll extinguish the light. No, it doesn't work like that, right? When the light is there, the darkness can't overcome it. The darkness can't extinguish it. And no matter how dark it may seem in our world, what John is saying is that Jesus Christ has come, he's shining light in the darkness, and nothing will put him out. Nothing will extinguish him. Think about this. This is powerful. He's saying Jesus is God. Jesus is the enlightenment that the Greeks have been looking for. Jesus has come into a dark world and he will not be extinguished. This is a powerful message. Now, the question is this. Who gets to experience it? Who's this for? Well, he continues. That the light, Jesus is the light who came near. Jesus is the light who came near. And he's not far off. He's not for just a few, but he's coming into the world to give light to everyone. Now, if you think about this allegory of the cave, this is the, the way that the, the Greeks thought about it, is that the light wasn't for everybody. It was just for those who could very rigorously, through philosophy and through reason and through thought, could kind of find a way to escape the cave. And those were the special, enlightened few that had access to the light. But Jesus comes and says, no, this is, this is for everybody. Look at verse four. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. This is for all humankind. This is for all of humanity. Look at verse seven. In verse seven, John describes another person named John, John the Baptist, who came to bear witness about Jesus. And he says, verse seven, he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. So this is a message about light for all who will believe. This is not just for a select few. This is just not for those who can kind of rigorously through you know, some philosophical way get into the light. No, this is for all. Verse nine, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. See what a contrast that is? This is saying this is a light that's for everybody. It's for Jew, it's for Greek, it's for rich, it's for poor. Regardless of your status, regardless of your enlightenment, regardless of your morality. Some people talk about maybe John was writing to an early group of Gnostics. Now Gnosticism is a philosophy that's kind of hard to pin down actually. And so no one's exactly sure. But Gnosticism is basically this. Gnosticism is this belief that there's a select few that are able to kind of access the truth. And no one else gets it. It's kind of this secret knowledge type thing. And you actually kind of experience it in, in Eastern religions is kind of a similar thing. New Age stuff is sort of the same. But even Christians are very susceptible to this. We can think, oh, well, I've found this particular teacher who actually teaches the truth, and now I walk in the light and everyone else is in darkness. 
Or Christians can actually think that it's not based on my philosophy, but it's maybe based on my morality. I'm a good person. I'm not like the bad people who walk in darkness. I'm a good person, and so I've been enlightened by the goodness of my character. That's not what Jesus says. That's not what this scripture says. This scripture says that Jesus had to come into the world. Jesus had to be the light for everyone. And notice, as it says in verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. God did not send a concept or an idea. He sent a person. He sent a person. See, see, this is what God could have done. God could have just sort of made sure that a book was written to describe what he was like and kind of have that book come from heaven and, and that would be the way to give enlightenment to people. And God could have just done that or, or God could have just kind of inspired some prophets to speak boldly and to tell the truth. And, and, and you know what? God did both those things. He inspired his word and he inspired prophets to come, people like John who sent to bear witness about the light, but he didn't stop there. He came near. He put on flesh and walked among us. He came not as a concept, not as an idea, as a person. A person embodied as a baby who had to learn to walk, who had to grow, who had to develop, who experienced joy, who experienced laughter, who experienced loss, who experienced temptation grief and pain, who bloodied his knees and got dirt under his fingernails, who had sleepless nights and great celebrations with friends. He lived this full life as a person. Jesus didn't come as a concept. Jesus didn't come as an idea. Jesus came as a person. A lot of times I think we try to relate to God as, well, he's this concept. And what we kind of act like is, well, I've got to kind of escape the cave and get this kind of knowledge or morality, and that's the thing that'll get me. No, 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 Jesus has come near, right? Have you ever done the escape the room? Have you heard about this? Right, these are these things, we did this for our staff Christmas party, they're, they're really fun, where, where you go into this room, and they lock you in there, and you have all these riddles, and all these codes, and all these things you have to figure out, and you got like an hour to escape the room. You know, a lot of people, even Christians, tend to think that this whole life is just a big game of escape the room. If I could just get the, the secret codes, if I could just get the right thing, if I could just live a certain way, then that would unlock my ability to really be enlightened. No, 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 no. Jesus brought that near. Jesus brought it home. Jesus moved it close to us. But why? That's a powerful thing, and that's really incredible that it's not just limited to a few people, but, but why did he do it? Well, he did it to be received. This is the third thing John tells us, is that Jesus is the light who came to be received. Look at verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is an incredible thing. Jesus didn't come merely to be interesting. 
Jesus didn't come just to be impressive. Jesus came to be received. And it says there in verse 10 that he was in the world and the world was made through him, but the world didn't know him. So, so the kind of broader world, the non-Jewish world, well, yeah, what do we expect? How are they going to recognize the Jewish Messiah? But then verse 11 says, even the even the Jews, even the people who were supposed to be on the lookout for this Messiah who would come, they missed it too. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. He came to be received. Well, what happens if you receive him? Look at verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, I just want to pause and spend a little time on this verse for just a moment because there is common language in our culture, and many of us have used this sort of language, that describes, uh, you'll, you'll hear it this way. They'll say, well, you know, everybody's a child of God. Everybody's a child of God. And uh, I, I'm not telling you this so you can go out and tell everyone, no, not everyone's a child of God. <laughs> Don't be cranky about this. But understand that that is not what the scriptures say. Look at verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Here's what that means. That means we're all created in God's image. We are all made by God. The rest of the scriptures declare that we are all loved by God. But this status of being a child of God, that is something that is given, that is granted to those who receive him. Okay, and again, I'm not saying go out there and every time someone says that, you know, start an argument. But I do hope you realize that not everybody has access to call God Father. But we can because of Christ, because we're receiving him, because we believe in his name. We have this new right to become children of God. What good news. But then that asks, well, how do you receive him? How do we do this? Okay, if he came and he came near and he came near to be received, how do we receive him. Well, a lot of scholars point out that verse 12 is probably kind of the key verse that helps us understand so much of what happens in the rest of the gospel of John. And so it makes sense that Jesus might talk in other places about what it looks like to receive him as the light, right? If this receiving him makes us children of God, if this is such a big deal, Jesus surely is going to talk about that. And if you read the rest of the gospel of John, you realize that he does talk about it. And so he describes receiving him in the rest of this book of John, three different ways. The first way is this, receiving is believing. Receiving is believing. It's actually there in verse 12, do you see it? But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. In John chapter 12, Jesus says this. He says, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Here you have Jesus picking up on this light theme. I've come into the world as light. I want to be received. How do we receive you, Jesus? So that everyone who believes in me may not remain in darkness. Now, here's the thing you got to know. Belief, th that word for believe is not just about mental agreement. It's not an intellectual thing. It's a trust thing. It's a dependence. It's a leaning onto. It's a grabbing onto. That, it's that sort of a thing. That's what it is to believe in Jesus. It's not to just go, yeah, I think he existed, but to depend on him, 
to trust in him, to believe in him. It's about faith. It's about confidence. It's about trust. Now, maybe you're a person that struggles with that because you, you, you maybe wonder, like, do I believe enough? If I receive the light by believing in him, do I, do I believe enough? Do I trust enough? Do I depend enough? Have anyone ever thought that? Right, and you sort of look at people that seem like they're just really like so confident in their relationship with God, and they talk like God actually hears them, <laughs> and like you go, man, they just, they have such confidence, like they have such big faith. I just feel like I have this little faith. I don't know if I have enough. Maybe even wrestle, like, am I really a Christian? I don't know if I have enough belief, enough faith. Here's what I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine that you're up on a hike, maybe up at Superstition Mountain or Camelback or somewhere, and you, and you get kind of to the edge because you're like, oh, I wonder what's down there, and you, your feet start to slip. And next thing you know, you're sliding down this mountain. And like in a cartoon, there's all of a sudden a branch that's hung out, right? And everything is just going slow motion in your mind. And you reach out and you grab the branch. That branch is holding you. Here's the question. How much do you have to trust that that branch will hold you for it to hold you? If you're like, I don't think it's gonna hold me. I'm not sure. Does that matter? No. It doesn't matter how much you trust the branch will hold you. What matters is the strength of the branch, right? That's what matters. You might go, I don't think this is going to hold me at all. I'm not very confident, but you're holding it, and it's holding you. That's a great picture of faith. It's not about how, how much faith do I have, how much trust do I have. It's about the strength of what you're trusting. And the person we are to trust, the person who has come near, is Jesus, who has life, who has light, who has come so that we would believe in him and not remain in darkness. And he is strong. Maybe your faith is weak. Maybe your faith is, is, is doubting. Maybe it comes and it goes. Are you holding on to something strong? Jesus, that's faith. And to receive Jesus begins with believing. It begins with trusting. But Jesus describes receiving him two other ways in this Gospel of John. And the next way relates to repenting. So yes, receiving is believing, but receiving is also about repenting. So I'm going to go here to John chapter 3. This is probably the best known part of the gospel of John. And in the first few verses I'm going to read, you just basically hear reiterated everything we just talked about. It says this in John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So get what John's saying. He's saying, if you believe in Christ, you will be saved. He's the branch that will hold you. And Jesus came to hold you, right? That's what it says. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. The point of Jesus coming wasn't just to pile drive us into hell, but to bring conviction and to allow us to see, oh yeah, he's the light of the world. To not condemn us, but to save us but he continues, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already 
because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Jesus says, listen, if you believe in the Son that the Father has sent, you're saved. You're, you're not condemned. But if you don't believe, you're already condemned. And you go, gosh, really? Why? Like, just because I didn't believe in Jesus? Sometimes you'll get that question, right? Like, really? You Christians, you believe that a person will go to hell just because they didn't believe in Jesus? That seems so narrow. But you gotta keep reading because here's what it says in the next verse. And this is the judgment. So if someone goes to hell, here's why. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. See, listen, God doesn't merely condemn people to hell just because they didn't believe in Jesus, but also because they love the darkness rather than the light. God himself is light. And if you love other things besides God and you build your life on those things and you ignore God and you rebel against God and you want nothing to do with God, God gives sinners what they ask for. He says, okay, you spend eternity apart from me in hell. Not because you just didn't believe in Jesus, but because you loved the darkness. See, we love darkness. Because the light can be jarring. I don't know if you have this experience, gentlemen especially, maybe you have this experience where in the middle of the night, maybe it's 2.30 or so, and you all of a sudden have to use a restroom, right? And you're stumbling around in the dark, and you get to your bathroom, and you turn the light on, and it's like, oh, it's so painful. Like, I was just asleep, and I'm so cozy and comfortable. And now this light's on, and you're in the bathroom. I'm not going to act it all out. Um, <laughs> but you might even, like, the light is so, like, oh, I just, uh, it's uncomfortable, and it hurts, and I don't want to look at it, and I want to be able to fall back asleep. You might even just turn the light off and go in the dark. And your wife's like, for sure, that's what you're doing. As bad an aim as you must have, right? Like, that must be what's happening here, right? And, and, and you do that, and, and yeah, your aim would be better if you turned the light on, but you don't want the light because it hurts. You'd rather be in the darkness. This is why we keep going back to the things we say we'll never go back to. You have something in your life, you go, I'm, I'm never gonna do that again. I'm not going back to that. I, I, I'm gonna give that up. And then you find you go back to it. Maybe you thought, you know what, this is the Christmas. I'm not gonna use the credit cards. It's been a lean year and I'm just gonna get through Christmas without going into a bunch of massive debt and I, I don't wanna have to dig myself out of that hole. You know what, this is the year I'm not gonna go into debt. But then, oh, there's that great deal. And the kids would love it. And all this opportunity, and you know, you only get so many Christmases with your kids, you gotta give them the best thing, and, and, and next thing you know, you're like, oh, I did it. I, I, should, I spent that money I didn't have. Or maybe you have a moment where you realize that that, that guy or that gal at work, you, you've been a little too flirty. And they're a little too receptive. And you go, okay, I gotta, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not walking by her office. I'm not going by his desk. But your wife, you know, she's kind of been there, done that with you. And this, this woman's interested and 
laughs at your jokes and noticed you got a haircut. And so you go back there. You say, you know what, I, I'm done drinking. You know, when I drink alcohol, it just, I can't control it well. I don't know what's going to happen. It, it just, it all goes bad. I, I'm giving this up. But you find yourself like the pressure mounts or the opportunity comes and you, you have a drink. And you wake up and you go, why did I do that? Do you know why? Because you love darkness. This is the judgment on all of us. The light has come into the world and we loved darkness. Now here's the thing. We think that we will reason our way into a new life. But, but, we, but we can't, right? You know that that's not good. You know you shouldn't be flirting with that person that's not your spouse. You know that that alcohol is not something that in your case you should have. You know that. You've told yourself that. But you're not just a knowing creature. You're a loving creature. And we do what we love. And so if we're going to receive Jesus, we can't just believe in our heads. We have to believe in our hearts, which means we love him, we trust him, and therefore we repent of the other things that we love that aren't him. We have to turn. That's what repent means. We have to turn from the things that we love that are darkness and move into the light. So becoming a Christian, receiving Jesus, it's not just cognitive. This isn't some Greek thing where you just kind of mentally get out of the cave. No, no, no. It's about a whole rewiring of your heart, of your affections where you believe in Jesus and you love Jesus. And the light of Jesus displaces the love that you have for the darkness. So receiving is believing. Receiving is repenting. The third thing Jesus tells us in the Gospel of John is that receiving is following. See, some of you up to this point, you're like, yeah, I've, uh, I've received Jesus. I've believed in Jesus. I've uh, repented of sin. Okay, but the third part of this, of how we receive Jesus, is we continue to live with him. We continue to follow him. Look at what he says in John chapter eight. Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. There again, Jesus picks up this light theme. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We receive Jesus not just in a one-time believing, not just in a one-time repenting, but in an ongoing step-by-step, day-after-day, steady-plotting following. I, I love that image. Just slow, steady progress. He doesn't say sprint. He doesn't say leap. He doesn't say teleport. He says walk, walk. You ever go hiking? You ever go to Santan Mountain or maybe you like get real energetic and you go to Camelback? Right, there are people who run up Camelback but Camelback was made by God to be walked up. <laughs> and if you're, gonna, if you're gonna walk up Camelback, if you're gonna hike up Camelback Mountain or any mountain, what do you have to do? What do you have to look at? you have to look at the next step in front of you. Right, because if you start gazing out into the future, into the top of the mountain, like you're gonna misstep. You have to look at what's here right now, this step, and then I'm gonna take that step, and then I'm gonna take that step, and as you focus step by step, little by little, you eventually make it to the top. 
Listen, that's what it's like to follow Jesus. Now get this, I'm not saying that following Jesus is a step-by-step improvement in morality that somehow now he loves you. No, 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 no. You receive that he loves you. You receive that he's the branch you're holding on to. You receive that you love him more than you love the darkness. That's a gift that he gives you. And now as you live in the reality of that, you walk step by step because you love him, because you want to obey him, because you want other people to see him reflected in your life. And so you walk step by step by step. Listen, some of you, you're discouraged because it doesn't feel like you're moving very fast. And you look up at the top and Man, it feels like there's all these people up there. By the way, they're not there either. And you get discouraged. No, no, no. Just follow him step by step, moment by moment, little by little. That's what it is to receive him. Not to just receive this one-time gift, though it is this gift, but to receive him in your life to live in relationship with God so that you can show the world that you love the light rather than the darkness. So have you received him? Have you believed in Jesus? Have you realized that you are falling off the cliff, destined for hell unless you grab the branch? Have you received him turning from your sin, turning from these other things that you used to love And now finding a new love, a new hope, a new light, a new heart in Jesus. Have you turned? Have you received? Have you believed? Are you following? Maybe you go, yeah, I became a Christian a long time ago. Well, listen, are you following him now? Are you receiving him now? Are you enjoying him now? That's what what my hope would be for all of us this Christmas season is in the midst of all the things we're doing, in the midst of all the stuff that just has to get done, that in the midst of all that, we wouldn't miss the significance of why he came. He came to be received. He came to be believed. He came to be enjoyed. He came to be followed. Would we receive him so that this Christmas, we don't just talk about him like he's a concept out there, but we receive him as a person here, now, in our lives. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for loving the world enough to send Jesus, the true light, to us. Lord, forgive us for how we've loved darkness instead of the light. Forgive us for thinking that we could somehow through our own intellect or our own spirituality or our own morality that we could somehow get enlightened apart from Jesus. God, would we instead receive this gift of the person of Jesus who's come as a light into our dark world? Would we believe in him? Would we repent of the things besides him that grip our hearts? Would we follow step by step, little by little, day by day in his path? And God, would we experience the joy and the blessing and the life that is truly life that comes from him. We pray it in his precious name, amen.